Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity. Our guest for the second of two podcasts is Christina Economos, the New Balance Chair in Childhood Nutrition and Associate Professor at the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University and the chief architect of what is probably the nation, if not the world's most creative obesity prevention program, Shape Up Somerville. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Kelly. So you're a hero, in my mind, for having accomplished what very few people would even try, which is to take a whole community and turn it around and make it a healthier place. And I know in order to do this, you face very daunting challenges, but boy, have you learned a lot. Can you tell us, and this goes back 10 years now, I know. Yes. Uh, Can you tell us about uh, where, where you saw a need here and what stimulated you to get started with this particular Massachusetts community? Sure. Somerville, Massachusetts is a a densely populated city uh, right outside of Boston, and uh, Tufts University, where I am, actually straddles Somerville. So there's a longstanding relationship between the community and the university, as many communities in the U.S. have. And it was an opportunity to really invest in this community and work with the partners to try to transform this typical American city and see if we could reduce childhood obesity. And what we did is we spent quite a bit of time uh, building and developing uh, relationships with partners in the community because if you're going to go into someone else's space, you need to understand what they want and what will work. The typical way to do research is bring subjects to your lab and then you're in control. But if you go out to the community, they're in control. So you really have to develop that partnership and come to some mutual understanding before you begin to intervene. So 10 years ago, was this community interested in the topic? Did they perceive a problem? They did. They had some preliminary data on their fourth graders showing that obesity was on the rise and it was a problem. Um, The pediatricians in the community were facing what any pediatrician was facing, and that was seeing uh, the children come in with uh, presenting with different risk factors for disease and higher weights. They had budget crunches in the community where they were forced to reduce some enrichment activities, including physical education. So it was clear within the community it was a problem. And some of the uh, immigrant populations were um, a bit vocal about the lack of availability of, of food that they were accustomed to getting in their own country and, and not able to really find it and purchase it in this community. So you were funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to do this, and, as well as some other funding agencies, and uh, spent at least a full year just planning. We did. What we did, did you do during that year? During that year, we did focus group research and key informant interviews, which is a qualitative research where you're really uh, listening and probing to understand where the population is at, and then analyzing you know, the kind of information you're getting and looking for themes so that you can act on those. And we did them in multiple languages, so we made sure to capture uh, the population um, that we wanted to target. And we really learned that uh, people very much wanted to practice healthy behaviors, but they didn't feel like there was support in place for it. And to be honest, they really didn't want education. They wanted that in small doses, but they wanted the environment around them to change so that they could practice the healthy behavior. It was remarkable how people really understood that. And it doesn't uh, mean that education isn't important, but it's a small part of executing a healthy behavior. 
What's more important is the social and environmental context that you're trying to practice in. Interesting. So the program itself, give us some sense of what it involves. I know it has many different pieces because okay. it's a very long list of places you intervene and people you involve, but mm-hmm. is there a way to give a, an overview of what you did? Sure. I mean, our goals were really to improve the quality of food presented to children and increase the opportunities for them to be active. So you can do that by, you know, educating the mother or the person in the household purchases food to bring healthier food in and to prepare healthier food. That's sort of a simple intervention that has been done a lot. Or you could work at the larger level of the community and look at the restaurants. Were the restaurants offering healthier foods in smaller portions and advertising them? Or you could look at uh, the school system and school food, breakfast and lunch that's available to most low-income children in this country and what was being served on a daily basis. Was there attention to portion size and fresh fruits and vegetables? Or you could look at um, the healthcare system in that community and are the pediatricians and the nursing staff really talking to parents about their children's weight, what they can do, connecting them with clinics if they need um, treatment. So it's really looking at the systems within the community and making a change in all of those. Maybe we could talk about two systems in particular, schools and restaurants, and you could tell us what you've done in there. Let's start with the schools. Sure. When you think about schools, you've got this, you know, an institution that's been there for years and years and years, and the food service plays a particular role. You know, we can go on and on, but it's a very complex system. How did you go about enacting change there? Well, part of that first year included uh, focus groups and interviews with people working within the schools. And it was really an understanding that took place between the parties. So we had to understand how does the school system operate and what are the challenges? And they needed to understand what's happening with childhood obesity and why must we make change? And that took time to really communicate that in different languages and coming from different places. And once we understood that, we began to ask what will it take and a big part of it was professional development and that didn't mean going in and just giving talks about childhood obesity and childhood nutrition but actually developing the health of them so i ended up giving talks on uh, bone health and menopause and um, what type of fat is healthy fat to consume so they could actually take charge of their own health and be role models for the children and embrace the intervention and one of the side notes is As the food service changed and healthier food was available, teachers and staff at the school started buying lunch there because it was more attractive to them. And there goes an increase in revenue. So it really all worked together when you included people, not just for the benefit of the children, for for the benefit of the health of the whole community. Fantastic. And so if you looked at the Somerville schools before and after the intervention, how would it look different? Well, they had a food service was very different, and the food service director, Mary Jo McClarney, was a true champion and took this on and really, um, I think, was revolutionary in the changes that she made within that food service department um, in collaboration with us. And so there's fresh fruits and vegetables that are served every day, and there's unlimited handheld fruit. So kids know that they can go up and get another piece of fruit if they want, which will then discourage an extra dessert later on in the day. There are no more bake sales at 10 in the morning where a child could go with pocket change and buy three things and then dump their school lunch. You can't spend money on a la carte items that are unhealthy and, again, dump your school lunch. So it's really a healthier environment, and the food is fresh, and it tastes good. Fantastic. With um, restaurants in the community, 
you've done some creative things. Can you explain some of those? We decided to target restaurants who were independently owned uh, rather than go after chain restaurants. So that narrowed from about 120 restaurants in the community down to about 80 or so. And we really went door to door and talked to the owners and the managers and said, you know, what would it take for you to offer uh, fruits, vegetables, low-fat dairy, water, and smaller portion sizes? And we had a lot of dialogue over the course of six months and tried to understand what the limitations were. And finally, together, settled on some criterion that could be implemented. And about 21 of them said they would do it. And it was beneficial to them because we helped advertise that they were healthier places to eat. They got more catering orders. Um, The mayor would go there and have lunch. And it really became a celebration in the community of healthy food rather than a restaurant that appeared to be boring to go to because they served healthy food. So it's about how you market it and spin it. And there's a lot to be learned around how foods are marketed. You mentioned the mayor. How important was he? He was very important. Um, Real leader in the community, uh, embraced this, lived and breathed it, come out and run the road race, um, went on to run the Boston Marathon, really took it to the next level. But I think um, more importantly than his, you know, personal behaviors was the support that he lent to every piece of this initiative because he believed that the community could be transformed and his role was at the policy and even the economic level. So just as an example, implementing an incentive program for city employees if they joined a fitness center, in addition to what their insurance company might offer, they now get an additional $200 back for joining. So, you know, really understood that we need to provide incentives and provide some flex time for people so they can take a walk if they want during their lunch period, or maybe it's at 10 in the morning instead. So understanding that to really transform this population, you need to be flexible and you need to be forward thinking. And I think he did, he did a really good job. I appreciate you describing the the facets of the program. What about its impact? You've done evaluation of it, I know. We have, and we've published um, so far just the first-year outcomes. And what we saw was in this community where we intervened compared to two comparison communities serving as controls, that we did see a reduction in the amount of weight that the children gained over the course of one school year. And it was equivalent to about a pound. So what that means is Putting it in context, we prevented about a pound of undesirable weight gain in this intervention community compared to the controls. And I want to emphasize that all children are gaining weight. It's not about stopping weight gain. It's allowing for healthy weight gain for growth and development at about five pounds a year, not seven, eight, or ten pounds a year. And I know you're proud of how the community has taken this on as its own, and there's a considerable amount of community ownership. Can you explain that a little bit more, give some examples? Sure. Um, There's a full-time coordinator who's really led the charge over the past four or five years since the intervention stopped. There's new funding that's come in, including Robert Wood Johnson funding to be a model community. Um, There's a political leadership that uh, continues to create new policies and enforce them in the community. And there's really a sense among um, parents within the school system that They want these changes to be maintained. They understand that their kids are getting a healthier environment than they were five years ago, and they're proud of that. And they really, I think, want their children to stay in the school system because of it. In some ways, there could be no greater tribute, could there, to to having run a program and then have the community uh, embrace it so much to take it over on its own. Absolutely. It's a lot of pride there. Good. 
Now you're doing work to take this model that you've developed in Somerville and use in other communities and other kinds of settings. Can you explain some of that? Sure. I mean, Somerville was our first attempt to see if we could catalyze change at the community level. And we felt through the development of all the materials that we needed to replicate that again and see whether we could see the same change elsewhere. So we have a similar study going on in, in six urban settings around the country and another one in eight rural settings. And over the course of um, these years that we're in now, second year, I believe, we are trying to evaluate whether those changes are replicable. And if they are, you know, share these materials nationwide and really start to train leadership within other communities to try to catalyze change as well. And, and my goal is really help to, through my science, inform policy at the national level. Good. Well, you're certainly doing that. No question about it. I think few people have had greater impact on, on the way we think about intervening in communities than you have, if anybody. Um, there's information available on a website, I gather. Could you give us that web address? Sure. The initiative at Tufts that I run is called Children in Balance, and the website is www.childreninbalance.org. Okay, and what will people find if they go to that website? They go there, they'll find more about our research. They will find some materials that they can use in their communities. Um, we are running a leadership institute this summer for communities and still open to applications. And we'll be training people over a course of several days to start this work in their own communities. Great. Our guest today has been Christina Economos, the New Balance Chair in Childhood Nutrition and Associate Professor at the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University and one of the pioneers on community intervention on diet, physical activity, and obesity prevention. Christina, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kelly. Uh, please visit the Rudd Center website at www.yalerudcenter.org. We have a free email newsletter. You can subscribe to a variety of other resources available on the website and, of course, a list of the various podcasts that we have recorded with outstanding guests. Thank you.